You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Hey, we are canceling the apocalypse! Do you know what it is to make your dreams come true, Leo? I've seen you working downstairs. You're a good man. This barman should not punch the fucking customers. I don't deserve you, Leo. I love you so much, but you don't know me. I want to know what the deal is with this crazy bartender. Sure you want our help with this? This kind of thing hurts my reputation. Daddy's gotta go. Oh, no soda. Your girlfriend has secrets. You lost me. Take a hint and fuck off. Not very talkative. <laughs> Something's going on. You need to maintain a sense of humor, babe. You gonna give me some uh, trouble, big boy? Or are you gonna channel that famous Amish serenity? <laughs> something this is gonna stop right now it ain't a secret anymore would you do anything for her say you're sorry fucking say it why the hell can't he talk he doesn't need words It's a brand new podcast from Parts Unknown, A Strange Journey to the Depths of Netflix. It is Anthony Lewis and Glenn Beauvais talking yet another Netflix original film. This time, kind of a big one, considering the director has some pedigree. Uh, actually, there's a lot of kind of big name stuff throughout this movie. It's Duncan Jones' Mute 2018 neo-noir sci-fi uh, film which stars Alexander Skarsgård, Paul Rudd, Justin Theroux, Clint Mansell did the music. Does he do all the? Does he do a lot of Duncan Jones music? I know Clint Mansell uh, did like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, but I don't know. I wonder if he's done. But he's a kind of for me as a soundtrack guy. It's kind of a heavy hitter. Although this this movie, the soundtrack didn't really stand out to me. As opposed to, <laughs> like... there are many other things that stood out to me in this movie. Uh, one thing I would like to note that I did not know in going into this movie is that it is apparently a non-linear sequel to Moon. Yeah. It... The only thing, I knew Sam Rockwell had a cameo, but I didn't know what the context of it was. Yeah, he is Sam Bell from Moon. Well, he's multiple Sam Bells, apparently, because he appears on a television in a bar in a court case. 
I guess. Where he's testing. Well, that's what the end of the uh, end of boot is. Mm-hmm. When he goes back to Earth, Earth, like they talk about, yeah, they sh- like obviously news anchors talking about it. So yeah, uh, and so therefore this grounds this in the Mooniverse. So when you watch Moon next time, when he's talking about Earth or whatever and going back to Earth, this is the Earth he's going back to. Is the one in this movie. So yeah. uh, a heads up. So there's a lot to take in with this movie, Glenn. There's a lot of yeah. just wacky concepts and some interesting ways they went about storytelling in this movie, I guess. Yeah, you could say interesting ways of how to go about storytelling. <laughs> Where do you want to start with this? Uh, uh, let's start with positives. Okay. Because uh, I actually thought the acting was good. Okay. Um, Early on, I, I thought it seemed very rough at first. Yeah, yeah, it kind of yeah, it kind of get once you get in the flow. I thought Paul Rudd was a good bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Justin Thoreau was really good. Like his character was like, who is this guy? Like duck. Uh, besides, like a, a monster. Yeah. Uh, but it was like, man, it just. And their, like, dynamic, like him and Paul Rudd's dynamic. Very good together. I will say, watching the movie, you can tell sexuality was definitely something his father had an influence on him with. Mm-hmm. Um, given the fluidity of, if anyone doesn't know, Duncan Jones' dad is David Bowie. Uh, so, in the way that David Bowie's career went, Although I know when he was older, tried to deny some of it, but the mm. way he was with the Ziggy Stardust things, like you could tell, sexuality was something um, was that was fluid. very fluid in his household, and I, I, that stuff I thought was really cool. I liked the world building in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the setting was interesting. It's just the way the story was told. Like I, uh, he tried to do too much. I think. And yeah. you you watch his other movies like Moon, you're very limited in the in the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Source Code, you're very limited by the rules that you're set by what the rules of the movie are. Yes, and it felt like this one he had free reign, and it was just like, whoa, okay, like <laughs> we need to pick a thing because we, whenever you would follow Paul Rudd and like, oh, things tie in this barman. The way it was told, I was just so confused that I'm like, by the time you're, you have to just be completely spelled out what's going on because I don't think they did a good job of placing the hints so that you could, you know, so you that you could solve the mystery as you're going along. Like yeah. I just thought that was really bad. They did an awful job. By the time by the time I sort of figured out things, I didn't really care. Like the movie was yeah, just about yeah. to be over. By the time I by the time I had a chance to piece things together. So let's, uh, I, I will also do some positives. I, well, I mean, you kind of stole a couple of my positives. Paul Rudd and Justin Thoreau were very good in this, uh, especially Justin Thoreau, who was really fucking creepy and like in a non creepy way. He was a pedophile. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he's a pedophile. Uh, but in a and, and it's and it's weird that they also like design wise they both looked like guys that came out of the seventies, even though this is in like yeah. twenty thirty five yeah. or something. Design choice was a little weird, but maybe that was on purpose to give them an air of of sleaze balliness. 
but uh, that aside, those performances are good. Uh, the movie looks really good. Um, I know uh, that probably one of the first things that came to your mind as well is that it's very Blade Runnery looking. Uh, yeah, muted with a lot of neon, and some of the designs are a little simplistic, but they all look really good. Uh, I don't know, that's kind of where it ends for me. Uh, the story did make sense by the end, but um, <laughs> it was not overly compelling for me, and by the time I sort of had to make sense, and there's some, definitely some things that they, I had to basically figure it out for myself because they don't even bother to tell you in the movie. But basically, the film is largely about Leo, whose whole backstory is very weird to begin with. Uh, Leo is Amish, whose mother, I guess, was more Amish than he was because he was in a childhood accident that left him unable to speak. Uh, doctors could have helped him, but because they're Amish, they refused technology or medical science or something. I don't know. It's not very well explained, but he's mute. And I guess he's not super Amish because he has a cell phone that he uses. I don't know. It's weird. It's difficult to explain, but he is falling. Well, he used it because she gave it to him and he loves her. Like he, yes, there's certain concession. Like, yeah, I would yes. feel like if he's super religious, he would have had sex with her out of wedlock, but yes, he may, it seems like with her, he's making a lot of concessions and in a way growing with modern society. Yeah. So he falls in love. He falls in love with this woman named Nadira who it turns out is a prostitute. But this is where things get and muddied. And Paul Rudd's ex-wife? Or... Yeah, see, this is where things get muddied. So she disappears, and Leo goes looking for her. And Leo can't talk, so he has a difficult time communicating his intentions to a lot of people. And there's a lot of scenes where it's like, you know, he steps up to a thing that's like, you know, which he's trying to find a phone number or an address. And it's like, which periodical would you want me to search for? And he can't speak. So then we get like 10 minutes of him walking all over the place, like looking, but you, looking but, through books. But what's so stupid is that he uh, he kind of asked the guy for help anyways. Yeah. Not even the scene before. So like, why can't you ask somebody at the library yeah. to help you speak? Like, I don't... Yeah, he... Why couldn't you just go to... There was a guy like right next to him sitting at a desk. Yeah. Why couldn't you just write on a piece of paper, can you help me with this, please? I can't speak. Uh, but anyway, this is where things get muddied. Uh, so Paul Rudd's And then character... they establish things like this, like the syndicate, never mention them again. Oh, I the, guess the... they're just, the, they're just the eyes and ears for Masco to know that something Nikki is doing on the side. Like that was it. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah just to, Sorry. Est- yeah, you can go. <laughs> they, those guys were there just to establish that they're dicks because they would hit, some of them would hit on Nadira at the bar. And Leo oh, yeah, would get Mickey? mad at them. Uh, yeah, Noel Clark. Uh, I thought he was great in this as well. It's nice to see him uh, show up and stuff. But, yeah, so they're there to establish that they're dicks. And they're there to establish that Paul Rudd and Justin Theroux's characters are also very shady assholes. Because they kind of work for them. But that's kind of the whole purpose of 
that group of bad guys is just to establish that uh, they're assholes and the people who are the real villains, essentially, I guess, of this movie are assholes too because they help them out or work for them or whatever. And the reason Paul Rudd's character is working for them is he's an American surgeon who wants to go back to the United States who for some reason can't. I don't think that was established why he um, can't. Well, I think they they kind of bring it up a little, like, in Do the they? background. I'm assuming he deserted the army. Okay, okay. And that... Him and him and Duck deserted. It is what I'm yes. gonna go ahead and say that's what happened. I don't they don't really spell it out, but yes. I feel like there's enough hints to where that's the yeah. case. There's a lot of stuff in this movie where they kind of just vaguely hint at things. Uh so either way, he has a daughter whom he obviously cares about a great deal, and he's helping out these bad yeah, he's guys. He's actually like a pretty good dad. He does seem like it, right? Uh it it was uh, evocative of his uh, his work in Ant-Man, for that example. Uh, although not quite... He wasn't quite as violent in Ant-Man <laughs> as he is in this movie. But it's... So that's set up as the idea that he's working for these bad guys because they can get him and his daughter IDs that will allow them to get back into the United States without any problem. So that's why he's doing work for them. Now, it is revealed at some point, Nadira goes missing, Leo's girlfriend, and through his searching, it is revealed that Nadira is the mother of Josie, who is Paul Rudd's daughter. But what we don't know is, you know, like, were they in a relationship? Were they boyfriend-girlfriend and they had a child? Were, were they married? Was Nadira, uh, was she a, a prostitute this whole time? Or was she just a prostitute to get money to presumably somehow use that to get her daughter or kidnap yeah, her well, daughter? Yeah, like, like, it's super movie, vague and never mentioned. Well, they make it sound like whenever they are with Paul, whenever you're with Paul Rudd uh -huh. and, like, the army guys show up or when they're interacting with things, they make it sound like she's trying to get money so that her and her daughter can run away to America. Yeah. Which is what he's trying to do. So it's like they're trying, they're trying to do a rat race of who can get the money first and get out of there first. Uh -huh. Is what they make it sound like. But then you find out that the mom or that the grandma lives there. So and they talk about how all she wanted to do was be able to bring her granddaughter back to her mom. And it was like, well, if you're trying to leave and you haven't told your mom about this, then are are you not going to have your mom go with you with where you're trying to go? Like it was. It, her being the mom never made sense to me because they talk about how like so she's trying to save money to save her kid but then she's trying to save money that they can arrest uh, Cactus Bill I think that's his thing yeah yes. Cactus Bill um, I keep wanting to say Cactus Jack and I know it's not McFoley <laughs> and it, no, it, uh, it doesn't but help it, that his friend is his friend's name is Duck so I keep thinking Cactus Duck which sounds a lot like Cactus Jack, if you say it enough times yeah. as well. So I've but also it, had this problem. It was just, I did. It was just weird. It, the, my biggest problem was that, like, if you're going to cut away from Leo, it's so that you can figure things out that the main character doesn't know. Yes. But every time they drop you into a scene, when other people are talking to each other, 
they're being so vague about what they're talking about because the script tells them to be vague so that the audience doesn't know. So it's just weird. Like I'm more confused every time they cut to Paul Rudd's character because I, I don't know what is happening because almost not necessarily contradicting, but like what they say logically doesn't make sense with what Leo is finding out. Mm. I mean, and by the, by the end, as you get closer to the end of the movie, you figure out that he kidnaps her, uh, drugs. He drugs both Leo and Nadira, and kidnaps her. And then from there, you can assume that he kills her. But yeah, why? he left her in the bag, and she just suffocated. Yeah, but like that scene all played out weird too, where he was just like, "You need to stay in here and think about, you know, like did he did he not think she was gonna die in the bag?" Yeah, I mean, like, it was all just weird. wanted to sit there and suffer, I'm assuming. Yeah, which it was... Is, which, again, if if that was his point, then he should have just flat out and said it, like, you're just going to sit here until you die, kind of thing. It, like you said, it made it sound like, oh, she isn't dead. And then when you find her, oh, she's definitely dead, which is why Leo just leaves him to suffocate in his own blood, which, yeah. fine, that's a good, you know, simile, but... He takes uh, his doesn't... voice from him. yeah. Uh, and, and it's all weird. So Leo, Leo pieces all these things together eventually, and then goes and confronts. How? How the fuck he pieces together? I don't know. Right. He manages somehow to piece everything together and goes to Bill's place. And Bill is all nonchalant that he committed murder. And then like, he goes from like, all he cares about is all he seems to care about is wanting his to save his daughter, get his daughter out of here. Uh, that seems like his only motivation in in all of this. And uh, so, yeah, that so that all seems weird to me, too. Like, if it were me, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's because Leo still had his, I guess it's probably because Leo had his papers or whatever, but he decides to try to fight Leo and then... I mean, Leo, like, kills him really fucking fast. Like, he takes a swing at Leo, he absorbs it, he tries to stab him, Leo grabs his, like, his hand, and then turns it around and forces it into his throat, and, like, he's dead. Essentially. I mean, he's not dead dead, but he's... Yeah. You know, yeah he's, he's not going to make it, he's not going to make and it. And Duck could save him, but then Duck doesn't because he's been a dick, but... Oh, they have such a weird... I mean, I, I was... I, I need to point this out as a... For me, it was a negative... Uh, they they are great together in certain scenes, but they would have moments where Bill realizes that, like, there's a moment where Bill realizes Duck's a pedophile. Like, just a straight up, there's no denying it. Yeah. And he loses his shit on him. And then he's like, you just got a prom." Instead of, like, really losing his shit, he's just like, okay, now that I'm done losing my shit on you, you have to promise you'll never do it again. And he's like, okay. And then he hugs him. He's like, we got our papers. Let's go celebrate. Which just felt weird. And then at yeah. the end, uh, then at the end, when Bill is dying and Leo takes Nadira's body outside uh, to mourn, I guess, Duck just happens to show up and sees Bill dying on the floor. And he's like, oh, there's nothing I can do to help you. And then he seems upset about it. 
But then he's like, nah, actually, you shouldn't have been a dick to me. I'm going to go kidnap your daughter now and probably rape her, is the assertion made? Yeah, like, Jesus, man. And and then it gets even weirder because Duck, like, sees Leo and knocks him out and kidnaps him. That was the weirdest thing, is that, like, you know this guy came from the house. Like, are you really not going to try and kill this? Like, you know he has to be involved, like... Why would you just sit there and let you get kicked in the face? It was the weirdest thing. Yeah, and, I mean, maybe he was too grief-stricken. I don't know. I mean, I felt like he would have been more grief-stricken when he killed Paul Rudd. Maybe. But, you know, so then... It's finding out in ten seconds and then killing the guy. So Duck kidnaps him and then, like, surgically puts, like, a voice box in him so he can make Leo verbally apologize for killing his friend whom he just said, you shouldn't have been a dick to me, I'm going to kidnap your daughter, and probably uh, I'm implying heavily that I will also rape her. Like, yeah, just it seemed so uneven. Even if they're two crazy fucks, it still just felt weird Why would you spend that much time doing that? Right. And then driving all the way... I mean, I get... He's, I understand the whole driving into where that picture was taken... To show Leo, like, oh, they were together, they're in love, like... Yeah. If it wasn't for you, maybe we could have fixed this kind of maybe thing, I guess is what he's implying. Yeah. But also, like, Bill isn't as mad at Duck for whenever Duck tells him that he's been messing around with the the mute bartender. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, quit. You could mess it all up. But he just drops it like that, and then Duck immediately is like, well, you're an asshole. Uh... He's going to be here. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> I don't, Yes, I don't know. It just, they, their reasonings weren't fleshed out. But I, I mean, I loved it when they're like, hey, babe. And then like, they're holding hands. Oh, sure. They're like, yeah, then yeah. they go to the massage parlors together. And... Or when they tell uh, Maxime or whatever his name is, like, you know, we used to sleep together. And he's like, oh, you know, we were soldiers. We were, you know, bunk mates or whatever. And sometimes we'd have to sleep in the same cot. And he's like, and then our penises would touch. And then they'd, like, giggle over it or whatever. Because <laughs> they're just, you know, fucking with him or, or you know, whatnot. Or at least that's, I think it's implied that they're just fucking around. Um, yeah, that all felt uneven. And then the end of this movie is essentially just a weird payoff to a weird tick that they introduce earlier on in the movie. Which is, you just see Leo, like, get, like, a huge jug of water. And then he'll take a deep breath. And then just drop this huge, like, mug of water and then exhale. A fucking stein of water, yeah. Yeah, which is weird. He does it, like, a bunch of times throughout the course of the movie. And then it's like, you know, like, what's this weird... Why are they showing this? And then it's revealed at the end. Because I guess Duck's plan at the end is to just throw Leo off a bridge and hope he dies on impact or drugs. Well, I think the whole thing was that he had drugged him up to where he was kind of, like... Immobile, or or he thought, right? Yeah. And instead, Leo grabs him. He takes his super deep breath because it's like, oh well, he holds he can hold his breath for a really long time. And then he jumps down with Duck, and then lets Duck drown. And then he takes the little girl back to Nadira's mother. And he's able to save her because she's on the edge, and he's able to tell her to not go by the edge. Yeah, with his uh, robot voice. Um. Yeah. This was uh super weird (laughs) 
It was a mess. I mean, it really was yeah. just like it was just all over this, the place. Is this just Duncan Jones when he's given? Is he like? Is he get? Is this like the George Lucas effect where you know George Lucas up against a wall with you know spending his own you know risking it all, spending his own money, uh, you know, not super high budgets and stuff, and he makes those original Star Wars movies. Uh, but then they're so wildly popular that he becomes, you know, George Lucas, who's not up against a wall. Like everything's at his beck and call, and he's surrounded by people who think he who thinks he's a genius, and everything he says is is gold. And then you get the prequel movies. Uh, is this uh, just or, Duncan Jones? Or, or he's like George Lucas because maybe he needs a good editor and knows how no, to cut maybe. things down to make. Good well, because we talked about Moon. And we taught, and you mentioned, um, oh god, source what was code. the other one? Source code. Uh, although people don't talk about source code nearly as much as they talk about Moon, I think they're both really good movies. And as you noted before, they're kind of much smaller within themselves movies. And after that, he's done this movie, and he did uh, what's that gaming movie? Yeah, Warcraft. Warcraft. And both of those movies have not been well received. Uh, well, China, China loved Warcraft, that's for sure. They did. Uh, 15% on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie, with 67 reviews, which is higher than most Netflix movies receive. Uh, average rating is a 4.1 out of 10. So, not only did not a lot of people like this movie, but they didn't think overly highly of it either. Uh, the one thing that really bothered me in the movie... Um, and it's just because of the pedophilia thing mm-hmm. was that it felt like he was trying to normalize people's sexual preferences yeah. which is, that's fine Sure. Uh, again, a lot of that I feel like has to do with his dad uh, so like your sexual experiences, what you're into kind of stuff, like your kinkiness whatever you want to label it as Like I thought this movie did a really good job of addressing those things and normalizing them especially in this world that he created in the movie yeah but the way he would handle duck with his sexual preferences i thought was the same type of care that he had with the other ones and so i thought that was like a really disservice to like sexual preferences but then also have this pedophilia thing that he almost in a way treated with the same type of respect mm-hmm. with duck. I just was kind of like, uh, I think that's, that's not the way to go about this again in and of itself. Like him being a pedophile, I thought was a, was an interesting wrinkle to the movie, especially with the maniacal thing of him turning the, uh, camera or the screen to where, uh, cactus can see him pick up his daughter. Like, I mean, that was just like, Oh, bone chilling. Just that was like, oh man, that, oof, right. that that really hit me hard. Uh, Not, but fun it was to just watch. again putting it with all these other sexual things. It, I just thought that was kind of weird to, to handle that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it just was. I agree. Maybe really uneasy because it, you know, this is just days after we find out a Republican candidate in Virginia essentially admitted to pedophilia. Sure. Uh, because when you write that kind of stuff, you know, maybe some of it seeps out of real life. Like, uh, it's just, mm-hmm. oh, man, sorry. Like, uh, 
can't can't normalize that fetish. Not, I don't. I hope we're hope we're not there. Yeah, a lot of these uh, negative reviews aren't overly negative, but they do kind of hit where my feelings kind of are. Like uh, Mute is by no means unwatchable, but ultimately inspires us to rewatch the movies that inspired it. Or Mute is a more interesting. Uh, it's more interesting as a bullet point list of absurdities than a two-hour movie. But Jones continues to have my attention, which I agree with. I still think he's got uh, an interesting visual style, and I like. There's definitely parts of this I thought was interesting, but it was I don't know. It just felt crippled to me by the story. And the yeah, I thought the, the setting was, was cool. I, I like again. I like the characters, but. Mm-hmm. The story that he decided to tell with it, I just was... I didn't care. Yeah. Um, what would you give... What would you give Mute, then, Glenn? Oh, man. Uh, like a... Two and two... Fit? Like, yeah, like a 2.25, something like that. Two and a quarter. That is exactly Maybe. what I gave this movie. Yeah, I gave it two and yeah. a quarter, um, mostly for mostly for really cool visuals, uh, and at least an interesting premise on its face. But boy, it really didn't pan out for me uh, at all. <laughs> yeah, I, again, like the Sam Bell thing was cool that they tied that in with that. Um, I thought it was interesting to see Paul Rudd in this kind of role. That once Alexander Starsgard kind of got settled in, yeah. I didn't realize he was a very good face actor. Uh, no, I mean, and he's I, mostly I don't recognize. Uh, he's I think he's most uh, his most high profile thing has been True Blood, which is not something I watched. Yeah, and I don't know how he is in that show. Yeah, he, well, he's in that. He was in that Tarzan movie, and he's okay in it. But it's ah, just the like, Legend of Tarzan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just a. Uh, yeah, he's just, you know, a very tall guy who's ripped as fuck and, mm-hmm. you know, very pretty. Yeah. So, I just, I never really thought of him as, like, talented guy, you know. Yeah. There's other Scars guards Which that are pretty good, though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, his dad's good, too. Yeah. Um, uh, no, well, I thought I thought it was fine. I thought everyone was good. I thought, I thought Justin Thoreau was really good. It was just, man. <laughs> yeah. It just, just didn't come together. It took some odd turns in that yeah. yeah, I just felt like a, felt like a glass or something that fell on the floor, and they tried really hard to glue it back together. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't quite look like a like you can tell it kind of looks like a glass, or it was supposed to be, or maybe once was, but it you know it's clearly not in the condition it was supposed to be delivered to you in. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of what it felt like to me. Uh, hopefully, the next thing that we're gonna watch turns out to be pretty good. Uh, we'll announce that in just a second, but before we do, I'd like to thank the sponsors for this week's episode. Uh, Adam Tickets. Head on over to cinemageekly.com slash Tickets, or click on the Adam Tickets link at the top of the page and pick yourself up some movie tickets or a gift card for the movie fan in your life. Uh, yeah, we'll announce it here at the end, I suppose. we got to do the other... Uh, all the other closing show crap as well. Uh, head on over to cinemageekly.com. Check out the archives of the show. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. Just search for Cinema Geekly and hit subscribe. And then you can hear us talk about the next movie from Parts Unknown we discuss. This one is a Glenn pick. 
2017. I wonder if this is uh, was released earlier or not. Uh, I know it was. It was almost a year ago. It was like in June. Is it uh, June twenty eighth, twenty seventeen? It was released on Netflix. It was. It competed for the Palm Door, Glenn. I don't think it won, but it competed for it. Uh, the 2017 action adventure film starring Tilda Swinton, Paul Dano, Stephen Yoon. It's called Okja, and we're going to talk about it on another podcast from Parts Unknown. Parts Unknown. 